This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome to another To The Point podcast. This is Sarah Gillespie. I'm the Compliance Director at Lipscomb & Pitts in Memphis, Tennessee, and I am joined by Stacy Barrow, our ERISA counsel. Hello, Stacy. How are you today? I'm well, Sarah. Thanks. So one of the topics that I thought it would be good to address via podcast is the idea of wellness plans and telemedicine and offering them to non-medical plan participants. So, you know, whenever you're listening to this podcast right now, we're recording this. It's the end of August. So we've got groups ready to go into fourth quarter where a lot of people are going to renew and think about how they want to design their plans for 2019. And so this is a topic that comes up every now and then. And I just thought it would be good to talk with you about um, why it could potentially be problematic to offer wellness plans and or telemedicine to non-medical plan participants. And I will say, I know they're not exactly the same thing. Some things will apply to both. Some will be different. But in general, why could this be problematic? Sure. So um, the, the way that I like to think about it, I mean, these are kind of technical issues. Um, in, in basketball parlance, you might refer to it as a, a ticky-tack foul, something where, you know, you do it and, and you get a foul called and you say, really, you know, that's that's a foul, you know, that that's something that's impermissible. Um, and, you know, potentially, depending on how you design your wellness program or telemedicine program, um, there are some potential compliance issues that could arise. Um, so let's kind of to level set, let's take a telemedicine program, a standalone telemedicine program. That's your, your standard robust telemedicine program that covers a fairly broad range of, of benefits. And you maybe even be able to get some prescriptions for various things. Um, and a, likewise a, a standard robust wellness program where, you know, there may actually be some medical care provided. In light of the Affordable Care Act, whenever you have a group health plan with very limited exception, the plan has to provide coverage for certain preventive care, the the ACA preventive care services. And the concern is that if you offer a telemedicine program or a wellness program that somehow rises to the level of an ERISA plan in its own right, then employees who are covered under that benefit, if they're not also enrolled in coverage that meets the ACA's minimum essential coverage requirements, then just being covered under your telemedicine program or under your wellness program could potentially give rise to penalties because it's it's a it's akin to providing non-ACA compliant coverage. Okay, so while we're talking about ACA, would the taxes, like PCORI fees specifically, be due on a standalone plan? Um, it's certainly something that you have to consider um, with a, a standalone telemedicine or standalone wellness program. The types of uh, arrangements that are subject to the PCORI fee, um, be, when they're self-insured, it's referred to as an applicable self-insured plan, and it's a very broad definition, um, and it could potentially be read to apply to, say, a standalone telemedicine plan. Um, and it's just something that you know you need to consider, and I know most employers would 
never think of the, you know, the telemedicine or wellness program as a self-insured plan. But again, you know, you sometimes have to really hone in on the definitions and these and these rules and regulations. And sometimes they're written very broad and you know, they may not directly contemplate these kinds of arrangements, but it's something you need to consider, um, you know, in general when, when you offer these arrangements. Okay, so that references ACA. What about um, ERISA and COBRA? So like plan document, 5500, and then COBRA things. Yeah, so these are, you know, kind of threshold legal questions. You know, whenever an employer is thinking of offering a benefit to its employees, they should consult with the ERISA council and, and you know, get an understanding of, you know, based on the way that they're going to offer this program, is it subject to ERISA? Does it need a plan document in an SPD? I, mean, I think most employers probably go along, uh, you know, like to try hard to make sure that something like a telemedicine program um, or a wellness program um, either is not subject to ERISA or it's subject to ERISA in a way that it can piggyback on existing plan documentation. And so if you were to say offer your wellness program or a telemedicine program only to medical plan participants, then you can basically piggyback on your medical plan and your wrap document and your medical SPD for all of your ERISA disclosure requirements. If you can piggyback on it for, uh, for COBRA purposes, but when you start to offer offer it on a standalone basis, then you have to, you know, go through that calculus of, okay, is this an ERISA plan by itself? Do I need to worry about offering this under COBRA? Whereas, again, if you tie it to your medical plan, a lot of these issues just get resolved. So we had a conversation uh, similar to this with an employer who wanted to offer a standalone wellness program to employees who waived medical because they just wanted to see it as a benefit that they could offer across the board. But they also understood what we were saying as far as trying to support, rely on supporting medical plan documentation or things that were already in place. And so um, their question was, well, what if we offered it to people who could provide proof of other enrolled medical coverage, so like under a spouse's plan or something like that, and try to lean on that plan to satisfy like the ACA mandates and things like that. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why that couldn't work. I mean, you would be taking the position that that arrangement um, is integrated with other minimum essential coverage, like another other group health plan coverage. Um, it would have to be basically, I think, a plan by um, a spouse's employer or maybe a parent's employer, because the the integration rules um, in the, uh, the notice, uh, I think it's notice 2013-54, um, you know, it refers to these kinds of arrangements, really specifically HRAs being integrated with group health plan coverage. You couldn't integrate it with Medicare um, or something like that or individual health insurance policy. But if you limited it to employees that had coverage through a spouse or a parent, I don't see that really a big issue with that. Okay, so I want to kind of move this into another topic. Um, so we've got some telemedicine, well, 
let me back up. We have telemedicine programs with a lot of clients. We have a couple who want to be unique about it, similar to the last question where they wanted to know about, you know, could they do it for folks who could provide proof of other coverage? So in a different way, we've got an employer who wants to get real creative with their telemedicine by calling it a telemed EAP because EAPs would be accepted benefits from ACA market reforms and things like that. So before I ask for your opinion on that, just for our audience, here's a quick reminder on what the requirements are for an accepted EAP. And an EAP is an employer assistance program. So the EAP does not provide significant benefits in the way of medical care. The benefits under the EAP are not coordinated with benefits under another group health plan, meaning like the EAP is a gatekeeper like you'd have to satisfy that before you can have access to a medical plan. Um, there's no employee premiums or contributions as a requirement of participation. Um, and there's no cost sharing under an EAP. So we had an employer who said, okay, well, we're going to make the program free and there won't be any cost sharing. So therefore, we're going to also take the position that it's not significant medical benefits and we're going to call this a telemed EAP. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, you know, anyone who's giving an opinion on whether an arrangement would fall within the definition of an EAP is giving a legal opinion, okay? So whoever is opining on that, it should be the client's counsel, you know, with whom they have an attorney-client relationship. Um, You know, we would strongly urge any employer that was going to put a program into place like this, you know, not necessarily to rely on any promotional materials or any legal opinions written by the vendor. Um, You should get it from, you know, your own counsel. Um, That said, I I think the, um, uh, it's, I don't know that a telemedicine program um, is traditionally thought of as an employee assistance program. Um, I think one of the more uh, significant issues with trying to to fit telemedicine under the EAP umbrella is the question of whether it provides significant benefits. And I'm sure you could design um, a telemedicine program that did not provide significant benefits, and I'm sure you could design one that does. And I I just, you know, there's no written IRS guidance that would imply that, um, you know, a standard telemedicine program um, is is contemplated under the EAP regulations. Um, So I I think it's, uh, you know, just in concept, I think it's a little bit aggressive. Um, You know, some of the bills that are floating around right now in Congress trying to um, you know, address some of these issues, I think, highlight the fact that, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that, that think this is an issue and that it's, you know, it may not be so clean um, to just simply treat it as, as an EAP. So um, I think folks should certainly consult with their own counsel um, before moving forward on that end. And I think ultimately that's where I was going to land as well is to say that, you know, there are a lot of different ideas floating around, but ultimately the employer needs to talk to counsel to have someone uh, back them up in a position legally that is the right thing to do based on the plan that they have designed. So generally what we recommend is that wellness and telemedicine programs are offered to medical plan participants because you can better lean on the documentation, the things that are already in place 
within the medical plan. If you want to do something creative, if you want to offer standalone or offer it to non-medical plan participants, just make sure that you are talking to your counsel, talking to us about that, and we'd be happy to review those ideas, talk with Stacy further about those ideas if you like. Um, but thank you for joining us for this podcast. We do have other podcasts on the topics of wellness and telemedicine, and we would love to have you listen to those as well. Have a great day.